Shit Happens. episode 207 of the yellow wall pods i'm as almost always am your host stefan butzko for this episode and uh, we've got to talk quite a lot given what kind of week borussia dortmund had and uh, for that i invited some people here some very fine men starting with konstantin egner from spielverlagerung hello mr egner how are you doing oh uh, hello mr butzko i'm i'm Liking that we are now so formal. <laughs> yeah, you can say you to me. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and also, I'm, I'm now uh, start to talk in third person about myself. You know, um, he, <laughs> he's he is doing Style, right. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't I haven't done it in a while. So, but now I will. You know, start. We start uh, talking about myself in third person, and he's doing very well. But he's disappointed in Borussia Dortmund, of course. All right, and the uh, five listeners who are still with us after that uh, can also welcome to the show. 5,000 you wanted today. <laughs> we have more listeners than the Hertha BSC match. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's not Trump inauguration after all. So, Lars Poermann, welcome to the show. Hello, Stefan. <laughs> Although some say you are the show, but uh, be that as it may, how are you doing? I'm irritated by... Uh, <laughs> By our intro so far, but I'm otherwise doing f fairly fine. Well, Lars, I would say second takes have been far more irritating on the Yellow World Pod. Uh, I think you, you know that quite well. We had to restart and I hope we don't have to do it again. And uh, that also means that I have to make a mess of uh, the next person's name because I'm happy to introduce Talking Fußball Abel Messerosch. Hello, Abel. <laughs> Hello, Stefan. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you got it pretty close. So thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm elated to have you. And um, yeah, we, of course, before we talk about Bayern Munich and Nicosia, have to talk about Borussia Dortmund's infamous 4-2, lost away to none other than Hanover 96. And uh, yeah, Dortmund now, of course, dropped down to second place. They lost the lead in the Bundesliga for the first time after match day 10. And uh, funnily enough, uh, match day 10 usually is the first um, benchmark where people take a look at the table and, and see how teams are performing. But more on that later, I guess. Um, let's start uh, from the beginning, Lars, and take a look at the lineup. What about the lineup did you like and what did you not like? Well, I did like that uh, Danak Zagadou started at centre-back, even though he got sent off uh, rightfully uh, early in the second half. But after the way he played against Magdeburg, and you guys talked about it last week, uh, he should have started against Frankfurt already. I think he was due a start uh, at centre-back. I like the fact, in theory at least, that uh, Bosch went with an unchanged backline, even though it didn't really work out whatsoever. But overall... Uh, I don't think this is the kind of game where the lineup 
should really matter. Uh, not to say that Hannover aren't a pretty good opponent at this point of the season. They are unbeaten under their uh, head coach at home, for example, even though most of those games came in the second division, but still a uh, pretty good team. But as Borussia Dortmund, as then league leaders, you travel to Hannover and expect not necessarily to win, perhaps, but to put at least a, a decent performance on the pitch, and they really didn't. It was the kind of game we feared would happen uh, in terms of the problems uh, you guys analyzed last time around, and we've talked about time and time again, you know, in, on, on a more global basis with Dortmund, that they are incapable of defending long balls, which is bad because that's something pretty much every, two, every team can do, so... Uh, even though we have to give props to Hannover for a pretty convincing performance by most of their players, uh, this was really about Dortmund not doing their jobs pretty well. Yeah, I took the liberty to look at expected goals, not uh, of Borussia Dortmund, but of uh, Hannover and Frankfurt of their entire season from match day 1 to 10, just to see uh, you know, how Dortmund did in relation to other teams defensively. And uh, I'm not gonna say any numbers because the data is uh, varying on on different expected goal models but i but interestingly enough and i think people will not be very shocked but uh dortmund had the or well, gave up the worst expected goals against hanover and frankfurt of the entire season so and and by by quite a margin too i mean dortmund were even worse than the defenses of Hamburg and Cologne. So there's that. Um, Abel, I anticipated, especially after the game against Frankfurt, a very heavy man-marking scheme just because um, I know how André Breitenreiter likes to operate. He has done this before against Dortmund and uh, I had a hunch he would do it again. Um, if you... And, and I know you took quite a look at it, but... Um, <laughs> I asked I asked Peter Bosch about this too at the at the press conference before the Nicosia game. Stefan Wutzko, ESPN. Mr. Bosch, I think Roman Wilkie said after the win in Hamburg that uh, in possession your players have to be close to the opponents to regain to be quick in uh, regaining possession after you lose the ball um, against Hanover and Frankfurt. Uh, both teams played a man marking scheme against your team. Do you have to rethink that approach now that uh, your opponents are? already very close to your players when you are in possession? Now, obviously, if you look at the beginning of the season where we win our games and we play well, that the opponents are trying to find something different. And they did well. Now it's our turn to find something about these kind of things. It's like chess. Try to think one step ahead, maybe two steps. So it's normal that the opponents think about this and we have to think about what we have to do. Um, how are Dortmund going to be a step ahead going forward on the quote-unquote chessboard against such a man-marking scheme? What do you think can be done there and what has to be done? Yeah, I mean, I think what uh, will be done is, is a tougher question. I think what can be done is, is something like what uh, they did under Thomas Tuchel. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm sure like Konstantin can uh, explain the tactics better than me. But what I what I saw is... It's like you guys mentioned the man marking and Dortmund kind of resorted to 
you know, recirculating the ball to the keeper and then, you know, or, 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 or center back and it would be a, a long ball forward as, you know, Castro and Shaheen would be hiding in the cover shadows, as you guys mentioned. So like naturally what would make sense for me is to, is to then go to either three in the back to have more of a circulation, better, better structure. Um, and then, but I don't really see Peter Bosch do, doing that. I, I'm sure like Konstantin can, can tell me if, if I'm wrong, maybe. It's always he's not listening nor reacting. <laughs> okay, uh, no. I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's my turn, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so it, there are some fundamental issues, of course, um, which is basically I what 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 Hanover did is n- nothing special. I mean, um, Preyman does it all the time. Uh, um, I don't know. I recently watched watch a, a Hoffenheim Tladbach match. Tladbach did it against Hoffenheim. So. Uh, but normally you got these teams like Dortmund who are, who are able to, you know, just get, get, get something moving in the, in, in, in the midfield, which, which sometimes it's not necessarily something you have to plan beforehand or you have to make a certain place you study beforehand. It's sometimes just to, to move around and switch positions just, you know, to get something, uh, uh, going just, you know, to interrupt, um, basically the man marking. Are you saying uh, Dortmund scheme? are too static in midfield? Uh, mostly, yeah. Um, I mean, if, if you watch, if you watch, uh, the tactic cam, especially like, like the, the, um, the camera which, which cover, uh, which, uh, shows the entire pitch, you can clearly see that both, uh, uh like more advanced center midfielders are, you know, sticking to their positions all the time. Uh, both fullbacks are sticking to their positions all the time and the wingers, uh, do the same. Uh, which means there's no, you know, no, no switching of positions. There's, uh, no, you know, dropping back, moving forward, you know, uh, getting in, getting out, um, stuff like, you know, just stuff like that. I mean, uh, the, I think the most simple example everyone should just look at is, uh, Preyman against Gladbach a few weeks ago, where, um, you know, basically, I mean, Stindl as, as the number 10, basically, he just moved back, you know, two out, uh, freighter. Uh, there was a hole there. Cromer went to the right, came came back to the left, and there was uh, you know, just he was right there uh, getting into the hole. Um, I mean, it's basic stuff like that. So in the Hannover match, it, uh, in the Dortmund's Hannover match, um, it wasn't only man marking; it was also that Jonatas, who was um, basically Socrates' man marker, he had had the freedom to, of course, leave Socrates and move towards or one at uh, Berkey, who was then you know forced to play long balls. Uh, because Socrates is the weakest, uh, link right now in, in the, in the back line. Um, I mean, Hannover had, uh, didn't feel any fear, uh, if, you know, if Socrates would have get, gotten the ball. It's just, you know, there's, there's nothing you can do, actually. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's, that's also something you have to consider is when you, you, know, you got a, a weak back line, uh, especially in the buildup. Um, it's, it's far easier to man mark the entire team. And, you know, and leave someone out, one at Berkey and stuff like that, or even leave someone out and, 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 uh, do a double or a two, two on one against another player. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's on top of it, I guess. Uh, Butter is, is, of course, a decent build up player. Uh, Toprak is okay ish. Um, but that's about it. I mean, Sokka has, has his issues. Uh, Sagadu has his issues. Um, so, yeah. So, but as far as you know, the question uh, whether uh, Bosch will um, change anything, I don't think. I mean, that's not as easy as some people might think. And I, I mean, I've, I've, I'm following the discussion 
um, uh, online, especially, you know, among the Dortmund fans, uh, which basically discuss or, uh, or also among the German journalists, uh, you know, just about uh, whether Bosch or about the um, question uh, how Bosch should change his tactics. So um, it's not that as, as easy as, as, as these people often think. And it's not like he he, he can step he can step uh, on the you know he can step at the tactics board in this in the locker room and just you know move something around and say okay today we we don't play four three three we play three five two or something and that's that's about it no it's not as easy especially when you are Borussia Dortmund I mean that's something we have to talk about as as well is that when you are Borussia Dortmund you are basically cursed to ha- to win all your matches. You know, while, while someone who's, you know, battling against relegation or something can, of course, uh, try some stuff out. And I mean, if you lose a, a game or two, it's not the end of the world. For Borussia Dortmund, as you have uh, seen in the, in the past few weeks, if you lose a few matches, if you even not win a few matches, it, it looks like it's the end of the world. Well, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, yeah, of course, everyone's starting to hit the panic button a little bit, but, uh, as always, the, yeah, the Wallpot <laughs> is the voice of reason. So uh, after of course. after right. after we've been uh, completely smashing them to pieces and criticizing them when everything is going well, we of course have to be very positive. Now, uh, Abel, you wanted to make a point about Socrates and uh, Borussia Dortmund's uh, central midfielders. Yeah, like I I tweeted this out during the game where where um I, but I didn't mention the the pitch. I, I felt like he was really bothered by it. Like I mean, he's not. We we all know he's not the greatest passer, uh, in in the world. But uh, there was like elementary passes where he just wasn't able to to make. And and like uh, constantly mentioned, like Jonatas was putting pressure on him. But there was times where you know like he's in. Uh, I think Lars also tweeted this out that like he's only kind of seeing to his right. And he's, he's unable to like, but even he wasn't able to pass like 10 yards to Bartra or like he would just hit like Ostrzolek, who's the opposing fullback in the head, where it just like play, you, all you had to do was play like a 10 yard ball on the ground. Um, and then with, with, with central midfielders, like you guys mentioned how they were, they were hiding a lot and, and, and not moving enough. So Gonzalo Castro had like, uh, I think 14 or 15 pass attempts in like 45 minutes. And the team had like 63% possession. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of unheard of when you're, when you're a central midfielder, when, when your team has the ball all the time. And, um, you know, needless to say, like he was, he was subbed out. So I, I would say like those two, uh, those two deserve a lot of the blame. Yeah, I'm trying to make the hashtag cover Shadow Castro big, but it's, <laughs> that, not, it's not happening yet. Um, last, after the game, Zorg and Bosch were, Basically saying, well, forget about all the systems in the world because if you lack aggression, uh, you can't win the game. Of course, I guess Zorg meant the physical aggression and the, the sort of robustness going into tackles. And I think Bosch more or less meant the sort of pressing and the sort of, you know, making a run and whatnot. Um, what's your take on that? Are Dortmund simply just do they not have the the energy level to compete or to fulfill the system they are want they want to play? I find those comments uh, sick and schizophrenic. Uh, first <laughs> of all, but uh, I, I first of all the the way uh, they talked about uh, what you just mentioned, you know, lack of physicality and sharpness and whatever felt like kind of a, a poor explanation for what happened in the game simply because 
it wasn't necessarily only about lacking aggression in counter-pressing or whatever it was. As Abel mentioned, basic passes they were unable to complete. Uh, their midfielders hiding in plain sight the entire game. Um, you know, they the were men marked fun- us. We already talked yeah, about it. Yeah, they but there are things you can do about that. Um, for example, move about a bit, but I guess that's too much to ask of Nuri Shine at this, at this point in his career. Um, shots are fun. <laughs> yeah, if only he could stop sh- firing shots from 30 yards, that would help too. <laughs> um, oh, and he's, he's going. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the problem for me is much more fundamental than, you know, a couple of players not not putting in a good shift of work or whatever. That's usually that, that kind of talk is reserved for uh, when you're really in the shit uh, in, in the table, uh, you know, like Dortmund were in 2014. Right now, you shouldn't be talking about, uh, you know, what, what Germans like to call Tugenden, I guess. Uh, but Virtues. rather, yeah, not not those things, but rather what's actually not working on the pitch. And that's far more uh, damning, I think, uh, to talk about. Last, before you, know, you continue, do Dortmund have any real leaders in their team? <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, I was basically finished. I mean, I, I just sound like when when coaches have that kind of explanation for poor performance, especially when yeah. in, in this game it was really apparent to everyone that Dortmund really suffered from the high line and had problems playing out from the back. And that's that's two things that aren't really about aggression, in my opinion. I mean, you could talk about the high line being a problem, especially when counter-pressing isn't working properly. But uh, to get in the right situations for counter-pressing, you need to advance the ball in, in those areas. And that's something Dortmund aren't doing right now. So I just don't like it when 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 that's, that's the explanation given when there's clearly something bigger going on and everybody can see it. Well, apparently it is so that uh, the entire communication about details and tactics and whatnot is completely fallen flat, as Marcel Schmelzer after the Nicosia game uh, demonstrated very well, where Esther Settler checked as a field reporter for Sky, asked him repetitively, uh, repetitively about the uh, about the problems Dortmund have, and Schmelzer was uh, yeah he he refused to answer. Basically, he he pleaded the fifth. And said, well, we will only talk about it internally. And I guess it's uh, a bit of a communication problem that Dortmund are having right now. Nevertheless, Lars, um, if Roman Bürki were to draw a portrait of his defenders, he would be very good at it right now because uh, they are defending a lot with their face to goal. But uh, going by your tweets, you don't appreciate how they do that. Because they're not good at it. Um, I mean, a little bit more detail. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rafael Guerrero is actually terrible at it. I know he didn't play uh, from the start against Hannover, but it's a general issue, so we can talk about it. I mean, Guerrero is not good at it. He doesn't have great defensive instincts. He doesn't watch for attackers running in his uh, shadow if, or in his, to, to his back, if you like. Uh, Socrates, I don't know what the hell is going on with him, but he's been terrible for at least half a year, it feels like. I mean... He's not sharp in duels. Uh, he's making bad decisions. We talked about the penalty he, uh, he gave up against Leipzig, which he had uh, had have coming. So, I mean, it's just... And then you have Zagadou, who's 18, doesn't have the experience to do it. 
And Batra is the right back because Jeremy Torian is really bad right now and Dortmund don't have anybody else. So when when you have all those problems on a personal level, having them do a very difficult task in terms of defending, which is defending while facing your own goal, which because uh, it means the, most of the time the, the opponent will be going at a pretty high speed towards your goal and every mistake you make will be... Uh, multiplied because it's either going to be a penalty a free kick uh, sending off or whatever you know or just a goal without uh, without a foul so uh, it's just not something Dortmund should be focusing on right now but with the high line Dortmund are playing with and their lack of sharpness in counter pressing and them never winning any second balls it seems like uh, that's just something they they do time and time again and it's not no surprise that uh, a team without great individual attacking quality like Hannover but who have one physical striker in Jonatas and a very a very fast uh, sprinter who doesn't really play football well but he runs really well in uh, Ilas Bebu it's not a surprise that those two guys hurt Dortmund all game long yeah I guess so um Constantine there have been questions raised about the overall pace of Dortmund's backline uh, when they have to push up very high. And uh, if you look at other teams like Bayern, who have Boateng, for example, who is very quick, or uh, Upamecano for Leipzig, you see a lot of pace in there. Those are obviously also teams that play with a high line. Do you think that this is an overall problem for Dortmund and that they have to reinvest on the transfer market and, and find more players? Or do you see the pace... Uh, in, in players that are maybe not playing centrally right now. And after you answered that question, another one for you, Konstantin. If a side like Hannover immediately plays the ball behind Dortmund's backline, is there even enough time to counter-press or is this just uh, too quick? Um, I don't know. Did they, actually? Because uh, there were a couple of uh, instances where... Um, Hannover did like some basic passing, but not behind the back line, but, uh, between back line and center midfield, actually. Because that was, that was quite, quite funny when you, especially when you watch, uh, the, I think it was, uh, the scene prior to the penalty, I think. Uh, it was a throw in for Hannover, you know, right somewhere on the left side, but, you know, I don't know, 20 yards. In front of their their goal, there was just one throw, one header, and and there was and there was so was plenty of space in fr right in front of the the back line, you know, just uh, and the, the back line was was positioned pretty high. I mean, all, all uh, higher than the halfway line. So, I mean, but still, there was pr plenty of space for Klaus, uh, who is the number ten of uh, Hoffenheim, uh, uh, Hannover, uh, and uh, yeah, so there there is plenty of space there. So, I mean. Like talking about compactness, there's there's or something like right, um, and also you know man marking in midfield doesn't help you when you lose all your one on ones. You know when you lose all headers, uh, when you lose basically all one on ones. That you're in. I mean, I don't I don't uh, necessarily agree 100 with with uh, Bosch when you know when he was answering the questions after the match and he basically avoided all the questions regarding his tactics. I mean, I I don't understand why he did it. Uh, and, the, and he said basically that you know uh, his players were not, were not aggressive enough. I 
I, 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 I don't know if it's, if it's not being aggressive enough is the issue, but, you know, not winning every one on one or any one on one, uh, in midfield is, um, of course a problem. I mean, when, when you play, when you play counter pressing, I mean, counter pressing is some kind of tactic, but it's, it's, it's necessary that you win some, you know, one on one situations just like that. Um, but coming back to the backline and the, uh, the pace, um, yeah, I mean it is a problem. It is is you normally you you should you would say that yeah uh, there there shouldn't be any situations or almost any situations where where you where you have to run back and you know rely on your pace. But I mean that happens to the best. It happens uh, when Bayern plays. It happens when RB Leipzig play are playing. Um, so you mentioned Ubermecano, uh Boateng, Hummels. I mean. Um, all those players are, are pretty fast, and I think Sagadu is pretty fast. Um, Batra is okay. Socrates has lost, lost pretty of his, I think, speed in the last few years, I guess. I mean, just he, he doesn't look as fast as he did look a few years ago. I don't know really about Toprock. He's just, you know, average, I guess. Um, but it is a problem. I mean, it is a problem when you, when you're defending with, with a backline that's standing, you know, on, on top of the, um, halfway line. I mean, that is a problem. I mean, on, on average, uh, Dortmund's backline is, uh, I think 39 meters, you know, in front of, uh, Berkey's goal. So, and, and only Bayern plays a higher backline, like 41 or so. Um, we, we actually had a, had an article in the spot build this week. Um, I think 40 meters and, and, and Dortmund with 39. And then a few weeks ago, before Hankes became the Bayern coach, Dortmund had, had the highest backline average. Uh, but it is, it is pretty high, but it is, but just, you know, just to put it in context, uh, under total, it was 36 or so or 37. So it's not like there's, there's a big difference between those, um, those two systems, as far as the, you know, the height of the backline goes. Um, the, just the problem is that, like, building up dominance uh, through possession, uh, as Torel Stortmund did, is sometimes more effective than, you know, building up uh, dominance through, you know, just uh, in, intense uh, vertical play and then counter-pressing. Sometimes it works better to, to build up uh, dominance through possession, to, to clear-cut possession and circulation. But uh, it's not like uh, Peter Bosch's uh, approach could, couldn't work at all. I mean, it can work. Yeah. Yeah. In, in my view, I think Peter Bosch actually wants his team in, in at least periods of the game to keep the ball and hold on to it. I don't think that the way Dortmund is building up right now, if you want to call it that, is uh, the way Bosch wants to see it. I just think that's, that's a cause of op- opponents pressing the center backs and uh, the man marking maybe. I don't know. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean t- uh, right now, I think it's, it's like this. Um, as when when Dortmund should build up with uh, you know, some vertical passes, like you know, really putting your 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 uh, foot on the on the gas, um, then they don't because they aren't able to. And when they should, you know, calm down the match, you know, uh, put put your f- foot on the brake a little bit and uh, circulate, you know, a little bit deeper and and let's just, you know, run your let let the let the opponent run a little bit more. Um, then they don't do it. 
So I mean, it's just it's just a problem of ribbon and also a problem of, of uh, overall decision making, basically overall strategy, uh, maybe. But it's not some something that the coach can uh, entirely control or completely control throughout the match. I mean, it's also it depends a little bit, uh, or it depends very much on on what the players do and what they what they decide to do. Um, it's the same goes with like counter pressing or not counter pressing like fullback strategies. Actually, I mean, we w- w- watching the uh, goal Dortmund concede against. Nicosia against Upwell, uh, you know, when Batra, I mean, that, that, that's individual decision making. Batra moves forward, tries to inter- uh, to, you know, win the, uh, uh, ball that was turned over a second ago, w- w- win the ball back. I mean, it, it didn't, you know, turn out to be the right decision, but that's something, I mean, you can't blame on Bosch all the uh, individual mistakes that his players are doing right now. Yeah, that's maybe, maybe uh, you know, the, the overall, that's maybe the overall discussion right now, whether, uh, you know, Bosch's system is working or not working, whether there are too many risks uh, he is taking with that system, considering a lot of players are not in form or whether, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just the players not, not doing the job properly and no other system would work either. Um, Abel, you wanted to make a point about uh, the tackling yeah, because like the, it's funny you guys mentioned the challenges because Dortmund were actually like uh, winning uh, kind of the average or, or higher than their, their their season average against in terms of uh, challenges, but uh, tackling is is where the, the the statistics show that they were much worse. So so usually they they about they're about like sixty percent. So usually there's about thirty tackles per game and they win about eighteen. And in this match, it was like 32 and then they won like 14. So, so that, that, that seemed to be the, uh, the other, um, area where, where they were, where they were lacking. And, and what was also stunning for me is like how much Dortmund had the ball, but how little passing there was. So usually like you'll see, you'll see this in like a typical Dortmund game where, where, you know, Dortmund has like 65, 70% and pretty much like all their center backs or, or, you know, um, other players will have like 100 passes. Like I think in this, this match, like Bartra had, was the highest Dortmund player and, and he was in like the low, the low seventies or something. So, so that, that, that was notable that, uh, um, Hanover got so many of these loose balls due to sort of poor passes. And I think they actually led the, the, the Bundesliga on the match day with the, the sort of loose ball pickups. So their, their season average is like 70. And I think they got like a hundred in this game. So that, that shows you, uh, just, just how, um, sort of, uh, bad Dortmund were there or how inattentive they were in, in sort of those areas. Yeah. You're really putting a really bad performance there in numbers. Um, <laughs> last, do you, do you still think that Dortmund could have, should have won the game with uh, just tiny things going differently? I mean, Zagadou scored in the 27th minute, and I think it didn't take long until Yamolenko had that huge chance, which he put into row Z. Uh, do you think, had he put that one away, one way or another, uh, that, uh, you, you know, Dortmund would have maybe hold on? to the game do you think uh, the uh, psychology right now with Dortmund having a couple of poor results uh, is making a big difference that uh, if the momentum is going for Dortmund that they don't throw a lead away although saying that after they threw two goals away against Frankfurt maybe that's a stupid question but answer it anyway yeah thanks for doing my job Stefan uh, <laughs> well you're not after, getting paid, after wasting so a, after after wasting a two two goal lead against Frankfurt and then I mean Magdeburg doesn't factor into it at all. Uh, obviously, uh, we don't know whether 
Jamulenko scoring would have changed anything. I was I was so pissed at Dortmund for their first half performance that I was kind of glad that he didn't score so people wouldn't say, oh, well, they are leading, so everything's fine. Um, so uh, obviously he needs to score that, but knowing how Dortmund are operating at the moment, I don't think there's uh, there's much of a chance they, they would have seen the game out with with ease. That's just not how they are uh, playing at the moment. And also not... Uh, how Hannover are playing at the moment because they they have been very good in the second halves of uh, halves of the games, and uh, as I said before, they're pretty good at home. So, and they have a, a couple of players in their team that that would struggle Dortmund or, or would 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 make Dortmund struggle even if Dortmund weren't playing complete garbage at the moment. Like uh, as I said, Jonatas is very physical. That's something Dortmund usually struggle with, and Babu is really fast. So. Uh, when when those two guys can play off each other uh, with all, all of those long balls and, and knockdowns, and then Felix Klaus also had a good game. He he seems to score all the time against Dortmund. So uh, obviously we don't know how the game would have turned out, but my money is on Hannover still being very dangerous, even if Jamolinke had scored. Fair enough, fair enough. I guess uh, I anticipated that answer. Um, Konstantin, Let's talk about the half hour after Zagadou got sent off. I guess we don't really have to discuss uh, that this was a right call because he clipped... Who was it again? Bebu, I think. Oh, no, that was Jonatas. That was actually Jonatas. Um, hence, he still actually had the chance to clip him because Bebu would have been long gone. Um, Con Constantine, talk talking about the half hour, of course, Felix Klaus then converted that free kick Quite nicely, so no chance for Berkey there, but um, Dortmund had to play now twice down to 10 men in uh, two weeks. So how how did you see Dortmund react having one man less? Uh, I don't know. I mean, they just tried to do something. <laughs> it's hard to, hard to explain, actually. I mean, it's just... Uh, when you're down down one man and also getting yeah you know that's that's like one knockdown you get up and get your second knockdown you're actually you're you're you know you're stumbling around and then you get the knockdown because I mean the Felix Klaus free kick usually you 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 know you can see the red card or something and then and then the the following free kick doesn't go in this time it did um which was of course pretty bad um so as i said i mean it was just you know, like a double knockdown basically um so um from that on i mean dortmund tried something but it wasn't it wasn't like they they were as it's 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 i mean it's the same with the with the upwell match actually it's just that uh, dortmund right now i mean they can control the ball if they want to but um, they are all faces, uh, or they are, you know, just, just minutes or, 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 uh, even, you know, 30 minute time frames where they, where they don't really, um, can go through unless they have like a, an uh, opening out wide, you know, and then have, have, uh, Yamolenko or Pulisic or Philip, uh, doing something. But unless that doesn't happen, it, it's not that Dortmund is, can, can force situations right now. Um, even against, you know, inferior opponents as, uh, such as, uh, Apoel and, and Hannover with, with 11 men, um, defending against 10. I mean, that's something they can do. There were, there were a couple of, of things uh, or a couple of, um, chants, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, but I, I 
I think two or three chances. Uh, but on the other hand, of course, Hanover's, uh, you know, remained uh, dangerous and at the end uh, scored another counter attacking goal, um, which wasn't surprising. I mean, but that you would concede another goal, uh, being one man down and trying to get the, the equalize, I mean, that's not something you should be ashamed of or anything. I mean, that Dortmund was, was, uh, c- could be, uh, hurt when they were, uh, when they were 11 men. So, I mean, <laughs> on the break. So it wasn't really surprising that they could be hurt uh, with, with one man down. So, I mean, yeah, for, for, for what it's worth, I, I think Dortmund did quite okay after the sending off, but, uh, yeah, obviously it was never going to be enough. Um, last, we uh, have not talked yet about the penalty that uh, Dortmund uh, gave away, Roman Bürki clattering into Felix Klaus, or rather the other way around. Uh, is this something where you thought VAR would intervene? Do you think there was a penalty? Because I think it wasn't really. Uh, it's kind of difficult to say, actually. Um, I think the way VAR was supposed to work at the start of the season this is the kind of incident where maybe they look at it but it wasn't a clear-cut horrible refereeing mistake i agree that it probably shouldn't have been a penalty but it's like a i'd say it's a like a 20 25 percent penalty 75 or 80 percent non-penalty so going by what var was supposed to be uh no it shouldn't intervene now uh the way it has been used this season, and I think Kicker today revealed that the uh, rules have been changed a bit for VAR, where when it's not necessarily only a, a real mistake, but also when there are severe doubts uh, about a refereeing situation or decision, uh, then VAR is supposed to step in and at least make him take a look at it. So... By going by both how it's been used and and that definition we've been delivered uh, by Kicker today, then absolutely this should have been uh, overturned. And you know, uh, I think uh, Wolfgang Stark was the uh, video assistant referee of sitting in he Cologne. Was. He had severe doubts that it wasn't a penalty. Yeah, I mean, after when all is said and done, without VAR, this would have stood as a penalty. And and as I said, it's it's not a completely garbage decision. It's like, I, I can understand to a degree that it's difficult uh, making that call in, in real time and, and seeing as there is real contact there, uh, you know, I, 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 I could live with the penalty being given without VAR, but knowing how it's been used so far this season in, in Germany, which has made me, who's who's actually quite fond of the idea of VAR, uh, quite unfond, uh, unfortunately, so far. Uh, yeah, I, I think Dortmund have a, have a claim that they've been been done uh, poorly here. Yeah, well, Abel, um, Roman Bürki, do you think he should stay away or is, is he not to fault at all for this incident? I mean, he- um, I I tend to think not so much, just because it feels like it's it's like the second or third time this season where he's kind of uh, has to bail out his defenders and he's like left alone. Um, yeah, like there could have been ways to be not so clumsy, I guess. But at, at in those those situations, like it's just so hard for a goalkeeper. Yeah, I I tend to agree, and uh, yeah, I guess we can more or less wrap this game up because I'm after 40 minutes 
it's basically yeah. an entire first half, which nobody wants to rewatch. Um, so, yeah, I guess we can still say kudos for Yamolenko for scoring that goal. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. But, uh, yeah, nevertheless, excellently tucked away and uh, gave Dortmund uh, some hope for, what was it, seven minutes or so before Zagadou got sent off. Um, Lars, any any other players to highlight in that game who did well but nobody saw because it looked so poorly overall? I don't really remember anyone doing overly well in this game, no. Well, me neither, and I guess with that we can knock it on the head. Uh, I don't know how long I want to talk about the uh, 1-1 draw against Nicosia, which has Dortmund, uh, I don't know if they had any chance to go ahead in the Champions League with uh, Tottenham beating Real, but uh, yeah, that is that is more or less sealed now. Um, I got a little bit of slack for my player ratings, and I must admit, yeah, I, I rated everyone pretty low. On, on on this one just because it was Nicosia to me their team on the level of the second Bundesliga side and Dortmund in the Champions League on on home turf should just do better than a 1-1 score so Konstantin I was very harsh um, do you want to redeem Dortmund and say well had they finished their chances um, it would have been all that much better or do you think, like me, it was a static performance? Hardly at any time two players at the same time made a ru run and uh, overall bored you to the death, like me? Um, yeah, I basically agree that it was a pretty bad performance overall. I mean, yeah, you can you can now uh, point at I don't know, expected goal stats or whatever um, and say that Dortmund had enough chances to win the match. Yes, of course they did ahead because um, it was only Apoel and not like uh, Tottenham or uh, Real Madrid got better. Um, so um, yeah, that that Dortmund had the had the actually the chance to win is is all right, but you know you can't lose. Or I mean, it, it wasn't a loss, but it felt like one because you you the the um um. Uh, You, you you got a one one on you got a two uh, and you, you know Nicosia scored an scored an away goal so if you you know uh, even on points Nicosia will will advance to the Europa League which is pretty bad um, so um, yeah it felt like it felt like a defeat actually um, so one goal against Nicosia is just not enough uh, conceding goal it can happen um, it's not like uh, Nicosia has has only like amateur players it's not like that. Uh, but conceding the way the way Dortmund did, it was just you know pretty perfect. Uh, and, and you know, sarcastically, it was pretty perfect because it it just embodied everything that that is it's not working right now. Um, you know, individual mistakes, bad decision making, um, just not you know being safe enough sometimes when it wants thing and, and stuff like that. So, um. Yeah, and, and overall, it was a pretty. I think uh, that despite all the chances Dortmund had, it was a pretty bad performance. But you, because you never had the feeling that Dortmund is like the the completely and without a doubt a superior team, actually, you know, because normally you should steamroll Apoel in your own stadium uh, if you if you are as good as you want to be or as you you know 
project yourself to be. So, well, um, no, it, it was it was disappointing. And I, I personally, I thought that um, for Bosch and the team, I mean, considering the, the criticism, um, the current criticism, I thought like even if if Dortmund wins the match three uh, 0 or something, it's not really helping any uh, anyone right now. Um, but you know, losing or drawing is is just pretty 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 bad uh, for for the coach and the team. Um, and considering um, who's the next opponent, um, yeah, that that doesn't help them and it doesn't bring back any confidence. And I mean, uh, listening to Michael's talk after the Hannover defeat. Um, it was like, you know, doomsday, um, you know, uh, ground zero. Um, but I don't know where they are right now. I think six feet under. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, maybe they will be uh, meeting the Undertaker next weekend. But uh, more about that later. In the meantime, Lars, what did you or do you not like about the lineup? <laughs> I don't know why you keep uh, asking me that. I don't, I don't um, know either, but uh, it's it's a thing now. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bartra at right back against an, an, an opponent like Apoel uh, seems like a like a waste. I think you can play him instead of Socrates, whose issues we've covered in fairly great detail over the last few weeks, months, years almost, it feels like, uh, in possession. So if you play Bartra over Socrates at center back and an actual right back at right back, you probably improve at two spots for the price of one. So... That's something I would have looked into if I were a well-paid coach, but I'm not, sadly. Uh, and other than that, you know, I, I did like uh, Guerrero getting a start because he needs uh, playing time. I like that Toprak came back into the team. And I liked uh, Weigel starting, even though I fear it might mean that Shine will start against Bayern. And I also, uh, talking about Weigel, did like the fact that it seemed for the first 20 minutes or so that Bosch had finally understood what makes Weigel good, and that is gobbling up touches uh, in the sixth space, which he hasn't been allowed to do for reasons entirely unbeknownst to me. So I would say the first 20-odd minutes or so looked pretty good with Dortmund, uh, especially thanks to Weigel. But, you know, then they minute after minute it turned to the same stuff they've played over the last few weeks which we've covered enough so we don't have to go over all the lethargy and and uh, lethargic performances from so many of those players again all right then uh, let's not uh, abel how did you see rafael guerrero making his first start Yeah, he was uh, really important just because, like, he can actually, you know, move into space. Uh, I mean, the goal is <laughs> a good example. Yeah, the goal is a good example because, like, how many left backs do you see? That's like, I mean, if you if you go back and watch that goal, like, he's up as like a left winger, left striker, and kind of hanging around for a good 15 seconds before Kagawa, who, who I thought was really good on the day uh, in terms of passing, but really bad in terms of uh, you know getting shots on target. Uh, but but Guerrero provides an, an element to Dortmund that is sorely needed, especially, you know, in light of not really having a proper right back that can that can get forward, although I think Bartra likes to get forward. But yeah, I mean, you could also clearly see that he wasn't fit for 90 minutes. So, um, you know, and then Schmelzer came in. And but but uh, you know hopefully you, you'll see more of Guerrero. Um, I would actually be interested in seeing him uh, in one of the central midfielder spots 
just because you know he's 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 good with dribbling he's good with movements like he could he could help in uh, what we talked about in the first segment where you know moving out of cover shadows moving away from man marking like i feel like he would be really important uh but but also as a, as a fullback as well because i think that's 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 also a big problem for dortmund yeah well the 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 problem as a fullback of course as Lars already mentioned is his uh, defensive yeah. frailty and uh, thus definitely yeah, not 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 only that Stefan but also the rigidity of Bosch's system right. it would it would completely uh, stymie what makes Guerrero so special because I mean uh, when when he's not playing against Apple he's not going to be allowed to make those runs and hang about in the offensive uh, third he's going to be asked to uh, stay put where uh, he where Bosch usually expects his left back. I mean, we've seen uh, Schmelzer struggling with uh, that lack of freedom a bit. I mean, Zagadou as a center back doesn't really venture away from that spot usually, but uh, it's the, the fullbacks uh, are really quite uh, rigid in their positioning under Bosch. So playing Guerrero there would, in my opinion, at least uh, rob him of some of his strengths. And then obviously, as you just alluded to, he's also really not yeah, good it's gonna uh, highlight facing his, his own goal so. at the same yeah. time yeah. So. I mean I think uh, what Abel said is perfectly understandable I think Guerrero is a, a great fit for one of those center, uh, central midfield roles just because he's uh, someone who really understands space as well and he's got the technical abilities and a little dynamism to it so uh, I, I really want to see him there I haven't not heard in a very long time um And also, we mustn't forget in the brief moments we got to see it last season, uh, Guerrero and Götze actually have quite a nice synergy. So um, that's something to keep in mind of as well. And I think him and Kagawa do harmonize okay-ish too. So there. Um, Konstantin, what do we make with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang right now? He's got the yips. Well, I mean, he, he got a huge nugget on his neck. Um What else? I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, just uh, kidding aside. Uh, he's he is just in a bad position, I guess, um, because basically what's happening right now is uh, if Dortmund wants to get through, I mean that there are a couple of of seeds where you got the like uh, magical uh, Kagawa pass or something like that, or you got Götze, you know, moving moving in between the lines, but uh, overall. You, You, you got, um, often enough, you got, you know, Pulisic or Philip or Yarmolenko, uh, moving down the rings and then just, uh, cross passing. And, um, I mean, sometimes it works. Sometimes, as I said before, you can, you can get in the ball. Uh, but it doesn't mean it, it works all the time, especially like when you are, um, you know, when, when the cross pass uh, comes into a really crowded box. Uh, which was the case against Abuel, for instance. Um, yeah, and against uh, Hannover, just to come back to that match, it was often enough, I mean, there were these long balls, and it just, uh, uh, Aubameyang and uh, Yarmolenko, they were just chasing the ball. And that's never a good thing. Um, they, were, they were just chasing the ball. I mean, there was no combina combination play because it's it's almost impossible. I mean, it was, was almost impossible to secure actually the ball because of the, these long balls um, all the time. So yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, not long just, passes, just, is it? Because it's not precise enough for that to call it that. Yeah, it's just something. Uh, it's just the ball is moving through the air. Um, so yeah, overall, I mean, it's it's and it's also not it's also not his his kind of style to 
um, to be like this, this center forward who's just waiting and waiting and waiting and then just chasing the ball. I mean, yeah, he can do that. But, uh, normally when he, when he got his like famous runs behind the line, it's, it's most, it's, it's well, well prepared, well set up. Um, and, and he mostly you know, receives these, uh, crown passes. Um, and not just, you know, some balls who's flying over his head and then he has to chase it. Um, basically so, yeah, a yeah, lump yeah, yeah. with the, with the prayer on it. Um, and I, yeah, I actually want, meant to ask the question and maybe, uh, I'll, be, uh, send it over to you. Um, <laughs> long ball. Um, do you, and I, I think we had this discussion quite a lot before Bosch was appointed, whether Aubameyang actually is a striker for his idea of football. Um, do you think that uh, this may have an impact on Aubameyang's form right now, or is it just uh, nonsense and he is maybe just in a, in a poor run of his own because he, as we all know, already did score a healthy amount of goals this season so far? Yeah, I mean, like the part where he's leading all of the big five leagues in expected goals per 90 uh is, is is kind of tricky to to say like Aubameyang is not doing great this season so um but certainly like the last few games you you saw him struggling I mean even in the the Upwell game he, he had um two or three ridiculous sort of chances that you and I would say you got unlucky on some of them but uh yeah I mean I think the the fit issue has been brought up but but it's one of those where like if the results are coming like no one's really going to talk about whether Aubameyang fits in or not but as soon as like you know he starts missing a few chances, which, which, you know, he's still, I think he's still like number, number one or two across like all five leagues and big chances. And he converts like a pretty healthy amount of them. Uh, so, um, you know, he's always going to be like, he's always going to be a kind of streaky player in, in that sense for, for, you know, for a guy who's like regularly scoring 30 goals, he's, he's, he's sometimes streaky and he'll go like a couple games. And it seems like, I mean, I would, I would ask you, like, I think you were, you were talking about this last week, whether there were, there were some, some uh, rest issues where he was um, held out of training. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's affecting his performance, maybe. I honestly have no idea. I mean, I asked Peter Bosch uh, before the Magdeburg game, uh, whether this was, wouldn't be an opportunity to rest him because mm -hmm. he has played almost every minute of the season thus far and until that point and then Bosch said to the news conference where his data shows that he's top fit and there's no need to rest him and uh, okay. all of a sudden you know it, it uh, they said he had muscular problems no idea whether that was true Bill then reported uh, I don't know if that's true or not but uh, they said he got like a three-day uh leave special leave right, just right. to maybe clear his head or so i don't know what's what's going on there so maybe there is something going on with obameyang maybe he's just not not feeling it right now maybe he's just in a little valley of form i mean it wouldn't it wouldn't be too surprising considering he would not be the only one right now who is uh maybe not at his very best which uh, also brings me to Christian Pulisic, who was okay, but I think for Pulisic's standards, he can do better. Of course, he's only 19 years old and we can't be too harsh on him. But I also know we have a lot of American listeners. So, uh, Lars, how do you assess Pulisic's form right now? Man's not hot. He's not really uh, a man yet. Playing. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, he's got he's got more of a beard than you do, Stefan. So what? Um, <laughs> he's right, actually. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of fallen off a 
of a form cliff, if you like. I mean, he was really, really good to start the season and throughout September, I feel like. And then maybe it's the missing the World Cup uh, with the USMNT. Maybe he's just uh, as a as a teenager, he's entitled to have bad spells of form every now and then. And I mean, you said it. Nobody's going to uh, go overboard with criticism on on Pulisic's performances, but it feels to me like he hasn't been great for like a month or so. Like since the international break, I don't I don't recall him having one particularly good game. Even though I think Stefan, you rated him at, at a seven against Hannover, which I didn't agree with. So uh, how bad can it be? Well, there um, there, there there was the uh, uh, what what is Konzessions Königin der Konzessionsentscheidung in the uh, in English <laughs> makeup call. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know because I rated him a three yeah, after, yeah, after three, the right, yeah. game, which maybe was a little bit too low, but uh, yeah, I was just making up for that seven. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he's not been terrible, but I, he hasn't been great either. And I do feel like the presence of Yamolenko has uh, taken a bit of thunder from Pulisic, who I think is clearly better on the right side and has often been pushed out to the left with Yamolenko being used exclusively on the right wing. So ultimately, uh, I think if... if If the entire team was up to the standards the three wingers have set for Dortmund this season, we wouldn't be spending 56 minutes uh, plus talking about their struggles against, uh, with all due respect, lowly opposition like Hannover and Nicosia. Yeah, I, I was I, I actually had Yamolenko next on my list because I feel like he also went a little bit off the boil. And uh, as, you know... I think we have made it quite far into the season before really bringing up the name, but uh, is this some, a period where Dortmund are really missing Usman Dembele? Because we're talking about Dortmund being very static, and if you are static, you will need someone to win one-on-one -on -one challenges or duels or dribbles, whatever, to create space. There's just no other way around it. So, um, Konstantin, is, is this the moment where we hit the button and say, oops, We're missing Usman Dembele right now pretty heavily. I mean, it, it, if it would uh, have taken so long for us to, you know, realize that Usman Dembele was, uh, or that, that losing Usman Dembele was a pretty big hit for Dortmund, I mean, we would be pretty incompetent. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, he, he's, you know, Dortmund is missing him or has been missing him the, the entire season. I mean, even even when Dortmund was, you know, on top of the world. Yeah, but Dortmund, uh, Dortmund last season also had uh, some really shit games, to put it like that. And uh, I feel, especially toward the end of the season, Dembele then saved Dortmund's bacon every, yeah. every now and then. Of, obviously not in every game. There were crap games with him on the field too, but... Uh, And that's normal, yeah, obviously. So, um, but but is this is this a period where, especially a game against Nicosia, a side that doesn't really do much, really? They they it's not like they man mark Dortmund. It's not like they try to press Dortmund high up the field. They were just sitting back and and, and hoping for the best. So, sure. I mean, uh, having Usman Dembele there uh, would would certainly help. Uh, no doubt about that, but um, it's it's what, what what can you do actually? I mean, but it was clear when they when they sold uh, Dembele, or they had to had to let him go. 
um, that that would be a pretty big hit for uh, for them. And I mean, right now, I mean, in those matches against Gladbach or Cologne, it wasn't really that big of a big of a deal that there uh, that no Usman Dembele was on the pitch. But right now, I mean, you could use him not not even as like a tactical asset, just just you know sometimes when there's a stalemate basically, or when you don't have any ideas to how to get through the uh, the, the opposing defense, just to you know have have him having him there and uh, doing something crazy. Um, so, well, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, but, but overall, it shouldn't be, you know, the, or it should depend on having Usman Dembele or not. Uh, where, where are you winning a match against uh, Apuel, actually? Yeah, that is that is uh, very oh, true, which is why I don't rate it literally everyone in my player ratings, because I was just not uh, happy with, with uh, the result, knowing how crap Apuel are, with all due respect. But, um, yeah, maybe... It's all. It's also the same for for. I mean, even against Hanover. I mean, yeah, they are on a roll right now. But and even then, it it should depend on on having Usman Dembele. That's that's uh, true. It, and uh, Dortmund, after all, have Christian Pulisic and maybe even uh, Jaden Sancho to put in uh, somewhere down the season. Uh, uh, but one last point on on Pulisic before we move to Bayern. Yeah, like I I feel like he's getting this. He's in this weird place where. He's obviously like putting up amazing dribbling stats, but I don't always feel like they're necessarily like helping the team. But at the same time, a lot of times it's like he's the only one, you know, making stuff happen where, where like this was like a bad pitch against Hanover and he took like 15 dribbles and, you know, succeeded like over half the time and a little bit like that against, against, uh, Nicosia as well. So, but, um, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of end product. So, you know, he's not creating that many chances for for others and there's there's often like one dribble leads to the next dribble and and he's not quite sure of how to finish the move um and and certainly you know shooting shooting is kind of an issue i mean he's he's still 19 you 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 mustn't forget that but but uh you know like stuff like expected assists he's he's at like below two for the season which is you know for, for somebody who's 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 sort of you know, playing in a, in a high powered offense. That's, I mean, it's not like the rest of the team is, is, is creating that much. So, uh, but at the same time, like, uh, it's, it's, he's, he's in one of those where he gets, uh, Dortmund out of trouble a lot of times, but it's also like he gets himself into trouble and doesn't necessarily like, uh, create that much for, for, for the teammates. And sometimes he, when he does it, you know, people are not always finishing it. Like I think, uh, Apoel game, there was, there was a couple of Aubameyang chances where, where, you know, Pulisic created, created and Aubameyang didn't finish it. Yeah. Especially, uh, that header in yeah. very late in the game. And, uh, I, I guess, uh, we, we can maybe say a similar thing about, uh, Maximilian. Philip, who uh, is being compared a lot to Marco Royce, but Marco Royce has a playmaking element to him every now and yeah. then. He has a very intelligent pass, which no one sees coming. And uh, uh, Philip doesn't have that that much right now. So I guess in the in the uh, department of uh, creativity, he is still lacking a little bit. I don't know if this will ever improve, but at least he has some good runs. Um yeah, well, we are one hour into the show and now it's, I guess, time about the game everyone is uh, not keen about anymore. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know about you guys, but I, I think Dortmund fans overall would have been a little bit more psyched if Dortmund were still like five points ahead and uh, knew if, if this thing goes south, <laughs> literally, then uh, they would still be at the top of the table. But right now, um, Dortmund to loom to... Uh, 
convert a five-point lead into a six-point disadvantage, meaning without within five games, basically October and a couple of days into November, Dortmund within five games threw an 11-point lead away to Bayern, which which may hurt, but uh, you know we will see. They can also wrestle back the lead at the top of the table with a win. I don't know how realistic that is right now, but we're going to talk about it. And um, before we talk about it, a lot of uh, players, of course, talked about it too yesterday because with such a game coming up against Bayern Munich, uh, they will be asked about it. And Nuri Shai, Masic, Melzer, and Mario Götze, and even Christian Pulisic, they all more or less said, and I think Peter Bush too, they all more or less said, yeah, well, maybe this game comes at the right time for them to break their spell. Lars, do you agree? Is this a chance for Dortmund to reinvigorate and uh, come back from the half-dead? I guess uh, it depends. Do you believe in miracles, Stefan? <laughs> I do. Yeah, well, then then that's certainly possible. But uh, to to believe in honesty that, that facing Bayern is the best thing that can happen to a struggling side, uh, that's preposterous in my opinion. And I am firmly going into Saturday with the belief that Dortmund are, get, are going to be uh, pummeled by Bayern uh, and whatever people think about uh, Dortmund now will be magnified 10 times more by, you know, getting absolutely pummeled by Bayern. So uh, I think if if uh, if Watzke and Zorc didn't like uh, talk about Dortmund's performances and, and this crisis talk and whatever two weeks ago, they can get ready for a, a whole nother, di a whole nother dimension Uh, during the international break, uh, yeah, of talk that's probably going to center on on Peter Bosch and his quality as a head coach in the Bundesliga. So yeah, I guess uh, in I short, guess in, in short, no, I don't think uh, facing Bayern is. Uh, I mean, I, I do think it's quite the opposite. This is the worst opponent Dortmund can have at the moment. All right, so um, with that settled, I I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe it will maybe. Dortmund will magically win somehow. Konstantin, um, are Bayern, I mean, since you Heinkes returned, I think they won every of their six games, but are they really as good? Because I saw them briefly play against HSV and that wasn't that inspirational at all. So is there a chance for Dortmund based on the fact that Bayern are not all that yet or... Well, not a snowball's chance in hell. You know, watch, watching the, the Hamburg match and the Leipzig match, you can clearly see, or the first Leipzig match, you can clearly see that, that especially Vidal as the, as the deep, uh, center midfielder, it doesn't really work. Uh, he's not the playmaker. He's just, you know, too, he's too wide rangey. He's, you know, too aggressive, too, uh, you know, he wants to do a lot of stuff at the same time. And, uh, his positioning is pretty bad, actually. Um, and uh, someone who's actually using his keyboard right now should just stop because it's really, um, annoying. Um, and also, uh, you know, having Harvey Martinez as a, as a playmaker is, is, um, of course, is the right choice. I mean, I, I think they figured out, uh, especially in the, in the second Leipzig match. Um, the first, I, uh, yeah, we, we all know right card against, uh, Willy Orban after 12 minutes. So the, 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 the game was basically, uh, over. If, 
then or after the second goal, uh, which was, you know, assisted by uh, Ravi Martinez. Pretty, pretty great pass, actually. Um, so, but the first 12 minutes, I mean, Bayern looked far more dominant, far more fluid, um, the great passing flow, um, in, in the first 12 minutes, um, compared to the, to the Leipzig match, uh, a few days prior. So, which actually I think, you know, was, was caused by uh, Martinez and Rudy in center midfield. So um, I don't know how they will play against uh, Dortmund. I could think maybe Martinez and Vidal together because uh, uh, Johannes once once Vidal is, is like his his pressing machine or something. He's a he's a aggressive leader uh, because Hankus uh, is still a little bit old school. Um, uh, but Javi Martinez is actually the, the key guy right now. Um, um, sure, I mean Kingsley Coman, Alaba, they are looking good and everything but uh Javi Martinez is the, is the guy um the, the, the go-to guy basically um especially the build-up um w- w- a few other things uh regarding Byron um the f- first thing is that they they are they are pretty dangerous when they you know advance through the rings and and, and come down the, come down the outside lanes but it is uh one thing is that uh Robin you know who's still doing his cut-in typical cut-in triple He's not actually that dangerous anymore with, with this kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, he can do that uh, a lot of times, but he doesn't really. Um, I mean, sometimes he threatens opponent, but mostly not. You know, he's not that effective anymore. So, I mean, for Schmelzer, for instance, if he's the left back, um, they, they don't have to like uh, like back in the day where they you know need at least two defenders to to you know avoid these these uh, rubbing triples. Um, that's not necessary n- necessary anymore. I think um, at least not all the time. Um, so there, there's one thing, and, and another thing is just, um, or I mean, the, the most important question is whether, um, uh, or how Dortmund will play, actually, how, how the strategy will look like, you know, um, because you can't be as dominant as you want to be against Hanover or other teams. Uh, but on the other hand, if you're, you know, pretty passive, then that, that, that won't work out. I mean, that didn't work, work well for Leipzig, um, in the first 12 minutes in, La- in the recent match. And, and, um, it wouldn't work for Dortmund because Dortmund's backline or just the entire defense, if standing deep is, or sitting deep is not good enough. It just, just like that. So, I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing. Do you want to, you know, pressure Martinez, pressure the, the center backs? Uh, do you want to take risks? Do you want to play a high backline? Because when you pressure, Hummels, Boateng, and uh, Martinez, you can't do it, you know, the Cologne way, basically pressuring them and, uh, having a backline. Uh, right at your own box. That's not working. So, um, yeah, it, w- it will be interesting to see. And it's also a home match. So there's some expectations that Dortmund will be a little bit more, you know, confident and dominant than they would be in the Allianz Arena. Um, so overall, I don't know how it will play out, but, uh, I mean, Bayern can be hurt. It's not like they are invisible or invincible or something. Um, but, uh, as you could see in the, in the first Leipzig match, um, but, um, they are gaining steam. They are, they become more and more confident and, and dominant, be- especially because of Martinez, I think. Yeah. And of course, because, uh, they, they are winning again and that, uh, tends to make Bayern confident too. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say the, uh, first Leipzig game, as you call it, the cup match, um, sort of did, did a lot of things because, uh, until that sending off, I, I thought that, that Leipzig were actually the better team. And I think uh, that had, had Leipzig actually, uh, you know, made their advantage count in, on that day, it, it might, might have done something to Bayern psychologically. And uh, we never know how things would have turned out if uh, if it wasn't for Leipzig uh, playing down to 10 men for, what was it, an hour and then playing at the Allianz Arena again. 
So I guess with the red cards, that, that more or less ruined the experience for a lot of neutrals there, uh, sadly. And so uh, also, yeah, made things a little bit easier for Bayern than uh, I anticipated, to be honest. But uh, that's, I guess, just how it is. Um, Abel, Dortmund players, uh, Dortmund players, Dortmund coaches before um, before heading into a Bayern match at the news conferences and whatnot, they always talk about courage, be it Jürgen Klopp, be it Thomas Tuchel, and I already put a fiver on uh, Peter Bosch hitting bingo there too. Um, but I guess for Dortmund, courage right now is, is actually uh, not easily obtainable because the players themselves admitted that uh, confidence levels aren't exactly high. Um, Konstantin already mentioned it, Dortmund can be passive, so I guess if you want to get at Bayern like Leipzig, you have to be somewhat aggressive. Do you think that right now in the form Dortmund are in, this actually can work out at all? That Dortmund's counter pressing against Bayern will work, or do you do you have no confidence at all that? Uh, I kind of don't because, like, like we mentioned, that this is. I agree with Lars completely that like this is not the time you want to play Bayern to the extent that it's ever a good time to really play. They them. Um, I mean, albeit like I don't think Bayern have been great sort of over the last few games. I mean, um, you know, I've yet to really see sort of like a full strong 90 minute performance by them. Uh, I agree with you before where if the referee, I think it was Felix Fire, ever figured out that it is actually possible to send off Arturo Vidal or uh, Corentin Tolisso for like murdering Nabi Keita for the first 55 minutes, Amen. then... Uh, then it would have been a different story. Uh, and, you know, they, they, they didn't, I mean, they, they, the results have been impressive, but, uh, uh, not all of the play has been impressive. Although, like Konstantin mentioned, uh, the gain pressing is, is, is much better. Uh, the, the line is much higher. They're, they're recovering. They're, they're putting opponents under pressure. But it's also like a lot of those opponents are like, you know, Freiburgs and Celtic and, you know, those teams that, uh, can be, can be sort of dealt with. Um, but I don't, I don't feel optimistic at all just in terms of this because, uh, it's, it's again, like sort of the, the wrong time to, to, to play Bayern and, uh, you know, Dortmund are, um, suffering in form and, uh, still, you know, uh, having, uh, lots of problems, uh, as we talked about for a good, good hour. Yeah. Lars, I guess it's another round for you playing good lineup, bad lineup. <laughs> and, uh, we already alluded to our prediction, I guess, that Nuri Shine will play after getting a rest against Upwell. And I also have a hunch that Gonzalo Castro will be in that match. Um, going up against uh, Martinez and uh, Arturo Vidal um, and Dortmund's much-quoted lack of aggression, how do you see that mid midfield battle going for Dortmund? Not overly well. Uh, I mean, uh, you... Tease this as good lineup, bad lineup, but that would be a bad, bad, bad lineup. So, uh, I mean, the, the thing is, I don't think Dortmund have a very good midfield lineup to play against Bayern at the moment. Uh, you know, the thing well, that Rodas I would injured, do, so. yeah, I mean, he's he's the difference maker, obviously. He's the key to Dortmund's system and he's going to make Dortmund champions this season. Yeah, uh, Casimiro 2.0, my friend. Matthias Ginter at the number six for Gladbach. That's 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 clearly what's missing here. No, I would I, 
personally, uh, I would do what Tuchel always did against Bayern, and that is uh, play with at least four, uh, rather five uh, defenders at the back, a, a lot of athleticism on the wings for counter-attacking situations, and then hope beyond hope that uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang can get out of his funk and score the the one goal that you will definitely need to win and, and hope that one goal will be enough because you're probably not going to get too many chances. So with Peter Bosch, and we've already talked about uh, this a number of times, not only this season, in this show, but you know since he's been appointed, it's not altogether likely he's going to do that. So I don't see any uh, midfield threesome for Dortmund that's going to work too well against Bayern. So at the end of the day, I guess it doesn't really matter who plays because they are going to be at a disadvantage uh, no matter what. All right. So last already putting Peter Bosch's tactical approach into question. And I think in Sportbild, Bosch already said that he has no intention in parking the bus. So, Konstantin, how do you actually expect Dortmund to line up and uh, what would be your preferred choice at centre-back? Uh, so, um, my preferred choice? Uh, well, it's hard to say. I mean, Sagadou is out so that you won't play. Uh, you basically need Mark Bartra at right-back because you don't have another right-back. Um, yeah, so I have to. I guess you have to go with uh, Socrates and Toprak. I mean, it isn't, isn't perfect and I guess... Toprak and Bartra would be a better pairing, but you don't have another right back. So, well, that it is. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, so I, I mean, I think he will, he will, uh, so he is Peter Bosch, uh, will, will, you know, play, uh, Schmelzer, of course, and, and Weigel and Gonzalo Cresto Götze, uh, as a, uh, as a midfield triangle and, um, Pulisic and, and Yarmolenko or, or, or Philip and Yarmolenko on the wings and of course Aubameyang. I mean, there's no other, other uh, option. Um, yeah, so I guess, uh, Mark Potter will play at right back again. I mean, which is, which is of course not the, not the worst idea considering that, that, uh, the Coman, uh, Alaba pairing is, is, uh, crucial for, um, it's crucial for Bayern and Tolian is just not, uh, you know, in, in the right state um, right now to um, defend very well against those two, um, but also I mean you need. I don't know if I don't know if you, if you play Yarmolenko as as a right winger, um, you have you would have to or you have him moving back and defending alongside Barter. I don't. Is he better than Pudisic? Um at defending those swing attacks? I don't know. I mean Yarmolenko. Does look that good, right? Actually, uh, when he defends. Yeah, how do, how do you assess um, so Yamolenko's counter press? Because I think that's that's a big problem for Dortmund. He's just not quick enough to get into the situation. But I don't know. Maybe you have a different view. Um, no, no, no. His, his counter pressing is not really really good. Um, and also, um, just you know that there's there's some issues decision making wise. Uh, when he. When, when he's defending close to the own box. Uh, we are yet to mention Mahmoud Dahoud. And uh, I'm afraid he is fit, but he has just fallen off the uh, radar right now. He, I, I, don't, I don't know why. I thought when he played, he did quite okay. But uh, he does not seem to be an option right now for Peter Bosch in competitive games. I mean, the what was it, 90 minutes or so? It wasn't even 90. No, he was subbed off after a collision against Magdeburg, so there was something. Um, Lars, um, 
we talked about it already a little bit uh, when you when you you know made your already doom and gloom prediction. Um, should this game go the way you predicted and Dortmund get pummeled? You already said that the media will turn on Peter Bosch. I don't know. I I could I could see that too. Um, we already heard the crowds in the Westfalen Stadion, in parts at least from the main stands, turn against Dortmund in the uh, du during the game. Do you think that um, this will will be like a real test for Dortmund whether they hold on to the coach and and do you think this this would be um, a situation where Dortmund actually should consider firing Peter Bosch if if this really goes horribly wrong? Uh, while I do firmly believe Dortmund are going to get pummeled, I think we ought to not talk about unlaid eggs, as we say in German. So it, it might be a bit premature to talk about potentially firing someone after a game that hasn't taken place yet. So well, uh, that as, a, that as a, a general caveat, I do believe... Uh, that Bosch is coming to uh, going to come under fire, and not only from the media, but uh, as you alluded to, from from fans. Maybe not the the diehards on the yellow wall uh, who don't really care about results much. It seems like, but you know, from the more casuals, without uh, that being you know disrespectful to those people, um, I. I I think it's without question that Dortmund are not going to fire the head coach uh, during uh, the Hinrunde. Uh, if they go on playing like this and lose a couple more, or not a couple, lose basically all their matches, which, uh, you know, going by Dortmund's uh, rest of the Bundesliga schedule, isn't, it wouldn't be too surprising to see them struggle to win more than one game against Bremen because they are at Stuttgart, who haven't lost at home this year. Uh, Schalke comes here uh, to Dortmund. They they face Leverkusen, who have improved greatly. Apart from from Bremen, I think they don't have a really easy quote unquote uh, game left on the schedule. So it it wouldn't be too surprising to see them go into the the winter break having won only one or two of the last ten or so games in the Bundesliga. So at that point, I do believe the the discussion would have to be had uh, internally whether Maybe uh, disappointment was just a big misunderstanding, but as I said before, right now talking about this is is all very much premature, and uh, I do believe, even though I've been critical of Bosch and and now my fifth place prediction from uh, before the season doesn't look so bad after all, uh, I do believe that Dortmund are the kind of club that will give their head coach uh, time to fix these issues and. Seeing as Dortmund had done pretty well to start the season, even though they weren't as great as the results made it seem to be, uh, that it still showed that that there's some substance there that that deserves the time that uh, Bosch needs. So, ultimately, I would be very much surprised to see Dortmund enter uh, any point of this season with a new head coach. But I think I've said maybe not uh, on record so far, but when we had our pre or post podcast talks internally, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this be a one and done deal for Bosch in general, but that wouldn't have much to do with, you know, a couple of results here and there. Yeah, actually, actually, I, I assumed you would say that. And I have to be honest, I actually don't, don't think 
right now is um, is the moment to talk about the sacking at all, even if Dortmund get hammered by Bayern or so, because I think overall or in general the idea Bosch has is, is still pretty good and we all know stuff like that especially counter pressing takes sometimes a little while to be implemented and especially with a lot of rotation there's not a lot of automatism building so uh, you know just just to mention that um so i i wouldn't i, I just don't like the whole Bosch out debate right now at all but uh abel would you have having the Bosch out hashtag on your short key already <laughs> uh, not, not, not yet i mean it is kind of insane how football works where where you um you can go in the span of three weeks from like you know the greatest start to the hinrunde to to basically like you know fearing for your job um but but i probably agree with lars in the terms that you know bush is is, is going to be perhaps a one and done because it there's there's absolutely no indication that he's willing to change any, anything um, and unfortunately for him, like, should he, should, should he and Bifal Bay lose to Bayern handily, there's going to be this, you know, handy international break where pretty much all everybody's going to talk about is, is, is his job. So, um, it's not, it's not been great for him. Uh, but, um, I, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you, uh, you don't want to make premature judgments. You don't want to rush to and jump to conclusions on this. But uh, at the same time, uh, you know, you have to like he, he has to be willing to, to, to see that there's a problem or, or admit that, you know, there's uh, a, a, amendments that need to be made and adjustments that need to be made. And, you know, perhaps whether it's the lineup, whether it's his system, whether it's, you know, formations, whether it's rotations. Uh, and uh, if he's unwilling to do that, I think there's there's a real problem. Yeah, basically, I'm just trying to underscore how crucial this game really is for Dortmund right now. Just looking at the general mood at the club, that this may, might be a turning point for Dortmund in the positive, but also in the negative. Because with a win, they could iron out some wrinkles. They would be back at the top of the table going into an international break. And, uh, you know, while not all is well, you know, if you are at the top of the table after 11 match days, not not too many things are going badly i mean right now they're in second place and that is still pretty good and the only thing that's not good is the trend and i do have to praise konstantin now of course because he was the one who said at the very beginning that uh, peter bosch will be highly highly either high <laughs> he will be either highly successful or he will be sacked within the first couple of months so kudos to you konstantin and because you are so well at predicting things you may now go ahead and predict the Bayern match so we can wrap it up oh yeah uh, so I guess 2-1 uh, for Dortmund or Bayern alright there we go Lars 1-4 uh, to make it uh, to, to not have any mistakes on who's going to win the game <laughs> All right, fair enough, Abel. Yeah, I'm gonna go with like a one-three loss, just because there's some injuries for 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 Bayern um, with with you know Coman and and then potentially like Lewandowski is is fit, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not in the uh, optimism camp either. All right, then I'm going with a one-three as well because that was my prediction all along. So I guess. That uh, wraps it up with Konstantin being the only uh, optimistic person still. I don't know. 
Oh, it's not optimism. I, I just, I just uh, think that there um, will be uh, early penalty or something uh, for Dortmund uh, because I think uh, Dortmund has has like a, a, a narrow window of, of 50 minutes or so where they can where they can turn uh, the match in their favor actually, and uh, in the early in the early goings of the match. Yeah, yeah. We haven't. We we actually did not discuss yet that Dortmund have a tendency to completely fall flat in big games after like 60 or 65 minutes. You know, this is this is something to consider as well that uh, Bayern might as well just over, you know, overpower them in the end of the game. Um, yeah. Anyway, we all made our predictions, and it's uh, time to get the heck out of here. Abel, first to you. Thanks for joining us and previewing this game and uh, jo joining us in such a hard time. So, uh, where can people listen to you when they are not listening to the Yellow Warpod, and where they can? They find your written work and follow you on the internet. Yeah, so I'm at uh, Bundespl on uh, Twitter, and then uh, and, uh, and I, I usually write for the BundesligaFanatic.com. Uh, there's a nice uh, analysis of the Bayern Celtic game that uh, can probably, and there's a preview of the, the 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 Dortmund game tomorrow. Not by me, but that that should be that should be uh, good reading. And then Talking Football is where I uh, do most of the podcasting, and then uh, you know. Hopefully uh, more of uh, the Yellow Wapad. And this has been great. Thanks a lot. You are welcome. Konstantin, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, on Twitter, as always, uh, my handle is cc underscore E-C-K-N-E-R. Um, so, yeah, and also, I mean, check out Spielverlagerung, Spielverlagerung.com and Spielverlagerung.de if you're you know, knowledgeable in the German language. Uh, you can check out the DE website or is uh, check out it.com Lars I assume you are knowledgeable in the German language but uh, please tell our listeners in English <laughs> where they can find you and your work uh, they can I'm, I'm not even going to uh, answer that Stefan that that jibe towards me so people can follow me on Twitter at Lars Polman and and while we're talking about jibes uh, Stefan you as the moderator of the show forgot to ask for questions for the international break. No, so. I, I ha had a little note in my head that I will do that in my outro, but... Um, yeah, 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 of course. But I also knew you would re would remind me if I didn't, so... I know that you are very reliable, Lars, like the very German you are. Anywho, you can also find Lars's great work on theotherworldpod.com <laughs> and you can find myself on Twitter at Stefan Bosco, and if you want to bitch about my ratings you can go on ESPN FC and yeah for the meantime of course you can uh, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes SoundCloud Stitcher and uh, all your other favorite podcatchers and before I forget yes it's international break coming up so that means we have a little bit more time to answer all of your questions which means send them our way at yellow World is the Twitter handle to do that or Facebook which is also Yellow Warpod. So, yeah, that should almost be all. Of course, if you want to support us financially, you can do that on patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And, yeah, thanks again, guys, for coming up on the panel. And to everyone else, thank you for listening. I hope you have a splendid November. Goodbye.